Mistakes. Everyone makes them. At one point, I grew a handlebar mustache and kept it for a surprisingly long time. And unfortunately for me, there is a fair bit of photographic evidence of this floating around out there. And looking back on these photos, at least in theory, I might learn something and avoid making that same mistake again. And my friends who took these photos and can use them as blackmail might also learn a lesson not to make the same mustache mistakes that I did. Because ideally, we can all learn not only from our own mistakes, but from the mistakes of others. That is the hope of Russell Napier, who's dedicated the better part of a decade to promoting that idea. The profession with the lowest level of mistakes probably in the entire world are pilots because they leave a full record of all their mistakes behind them in a thing called the black box. Russell is not a pilot or a man with a handlebar mustache. He's a financial investment advisor, but he's also the founder and keeper of the Library of Mistakes. You might want to think of the Library of Mistakes as that kind of giant black box. I'm Dylan Therese, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we visit the Library of Mistakes in Edinburgh, Scotland, to browse the card catalog of miscalculations. After this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. The Library of Mistakes opened in 2014. You enter via a small alley in Edinburgh, and once inside, you'll find a series of cozy rooms. There are armchairs and a fireplace. There are board games with names like Ponzi Scheme and Market Meltdown. The bathroom walls are lined with bills from currencies that have experienced hyperinflation. But like most libraries, it's the books, almost 5,000 of them and counting, that are the real attraction. We've made lots of mistakes in the past, and there are books that document them. And of course, all of them are hopefully going to make us better uh, the next time. You know what? Right now, breaking news here. Stocks all around the world are tanking because of the crisis on Wall Street. Lehman Brothers is going bankrupt in financial markets. Russell Napier was inspired to start the library after the 2008 financial crisis, an event that he thought stemmed from the general public's lack of understanding about financial systems. He actually teaches a seminar called A Practical History of Financial Markets. And despite that riveting name, people do not tend to flock to his classes. Uh, maybe they should, but they don't. So where do people flock to? Libraries. Okay, not everyone flocks to libraries, but some of us do. And beyond that, 
just having these hard-won lessons from past failures written down and stored for posterity all works towards the library's motto, Mundum Mutatu Error Singulatum, which, if I haven't totally butchered the pronunciation, means changing the world one mistake at a time. And though the majority of books are dedicated to financial mistakes, the stories they tell are way more memorable than you might expect. When I say finance, people think that's sort of money in the stock market, but obviously that's not true of Gregor McGregor. Ah, Gregor McGregor, a decorated soldier who, it probably won't shock you to learn, was Scottish. And apart from having an incredible name, Gregor McGregor was also the man behind one of Russell's favorite mistakes. It dates back to the early 19th century. Latin American countries began to become independents from the Spanish Empire. But it led to a man called Gregor McGregor appearing in Edinburgh, London, and ultimately in Paris to raise money for his country, which is in what we might call today uh, Central America. And when Russell refers to it as his country, as in Gregor McGregor's country, he's not exaggerating. That country was called Poyer, and McGregor was its leader, or cazique, a, a term in Latin America that roughly translates to king or prince. McGregor and the princess of Poyer arrived in London in the early 1820s and attended the coronation of King George IV on behalf of their small country. Well in London, McGregor lined up an estate to serve as the British base for the Poyesian royal family, and he bestowed on those friendly to them the Order of the Green Cross, one of the highest Poyesian honors. But as Russell notes, this wasn't just a ceremonial visit. McGregor was looking for investors. Many, many people lent fortunes to Gregor McGregor to develop this wonderful oasis of calm and tranquility in what was effectively a, a jungle. He wrote a book about it to tell everybody how wonderful it was. He sold them currency so they could go there and spend it. He sold them bonds. He sold them land. And uh, people bought it. There was just one small problem, though. Unfortunately, this country didn't exist. Yeah, Poyer was completely invented. The land deeds, the book, the currency, all of it fabricated by Gregor McGregor. And the princess of Poyer who attended the king's coronation, that was just Gregor's wife. Although this may seem obvious to us now, I mean, none of us have ever heard of Poyer. 200 years ago, to Great Britain, Latin America was still a very distant and turbulent part of the world. Governments, leaders, and even the names of countries themselves did turn over with some frequency. So it wasn't entirely unlikely that this decorated military figure could, in fact, be the leader of a place no one had ever heard of. Also, investing in former Spanish colonies was a common thing at the time. Many people in the European upper class were buying land or government bonds from countries just like Poyet. There was a, a mystique that the newly free Latin America could produce great returns, but fundamentally they bought it because they were fed up with getting very low uh, interest rates on British government debt or, if you like, American government debt. So our gullibility rises as interest rates decline. And here's where the story starts to line up with Russell's goal of helping people make smarter decisions. 
Basically, one popular way for people to invest is by purchasing government bonds or debt. Essentially, you lend the government money, and in return, they give you that money back, plus a little bit more. And when the interest rates are low, like they were during Gregor McGregor's time, that little bit more that you get back, it's just not very much at all. And that's when you might start looking around for investments that offer a higher return. Maybe you buy land in a foreign country, betting that that land will be worth more in the future. Maybe you purchase an NFT or non-fungible token of a cat riding a Pop-Tart. Perhaps you look to other governments who need to borrow money and who are offering more attractive terms, like, for example, a new Latin American country. And this can actually make a lot of sense, as long as the country you're lending money to, you know, exists. Suffice to say, plenty of people lost fortunes on Gregor McGregor's con job. But that's not the end of the story. 250 people fell so hard for this scheme that they even emigrated to Poyer, lured by McGregor's tales of a lush tropical paradise. Instead, they arrived to find wild jungles and disease. It was kind of like a 19th century version of the Fire Festival, except much more tragic. More than half of the emigrants died, and by the time the survivors made it back to London, McGregor was long gone. McGregor was able to repeat this same scam in Paris, and he was enabled in part by the fact that there was no widely available record of his misdeed. Or to put it another way, no library of mistakes. It's not just an aversion to low interest rates that leads to mistakes. Mistakes can arise from trying to solve legitimate problems, too. Most people listening to this probably don't know. One of the reasons that sheep die and cease to produce lambs is that their teeth fall out. And therefore, they're unable to eat the things that sheep often eat. I'm speaking to you from Scotland, so they often eat uh, over here turnips, which are incredibly hard. So a sheep without teeth loses its economic value pretty quickly. This phenomenon has a name. It's called broken mouth. And farmers in Scotland can lose up to a fifth of their sheep every year to it. Enter a dentist, Adam Thompson. He was also the son of a sheep farmer. And one day in the early 1980s, Adam was treating a patient, the human patient, who, like Adam's father, was a sheep farmer. And the two of them got to thinking about an idea for solving broken mouth. Imagine if we could construct false teeth for sheep therefore extending the life of the sheep, therefore extending its ability to produce lambs. This would be a fantastic investment. Yes, and it would have been a fantastic invention, but given the nature of Russell's library, you can probably guess how this story ends. Each set of dentures had to be pretty much tailor-made for each sheep, and that's why they cost so much. So the cost of making the teeth was more than the cost of buying a sheep. And that brings us back to another core lesson of Russell's library. Just because something can be done doesn't mean to say that it can be economically done. One quick footnote to this story, Adam Thompson later pivoted to sheep braces to help strengthen the weaker teeth by bonding them to the stronger ones. They were cheaper, but they didn't really work. Not all the stories in the Library of Mistakes are as intriguing as Gregor McGregor's or as weird as the sheep dentures. 
But the very act of putting all of these stories of human mistakes into a library, it gives them a kind of weight we might not give them otherwise. And it makes it harder for us to ignore the lessons in these stories. Pilots don't get to hide their mistakes. The rest of us do. Uh, and the rest of us can deny we ever made them, explain them away. So the better we have a black box for everybody else. Uh, and that, I think, hopefully is what the library of mistakes can, can become, that, that black box. And maybe we will never be perfect, but maybe we can get closer to being like pilots in terms of our decision-making process and the number of mistakes we produce. So if your name does end up somewhere in the library's collection, you can at least take solace in knowing that you just might be helping others avoid that same fate. And by the way, if you are out there with a handlebar mustache, I bet it looks much better on you than it did on me. I mean, I don't know. It was kind of cool. I actually kind of might grow it again. I like really... I don't, my wife's not going to be happy. Thanks to Russell Napier and his librarian, Helen Williams, for taking the time to talk to us. This podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was reported by Matthew Taub and Matt Hickey. Our production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Sarah Wyman, John Delore, and Peter Clowney. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll talk to you soon. I've been to Manhattan and tried to persuade people of New York to open a library of mistakes, but I've been told that Manhattan doesn't do mistakes. So if you could mention that if there's anybody who's interested in setting up an American library of mistakes, I'd be delighted to, uh, to talk to them on the basis that even in Manhattan, very occasionally, people make mistakes. Witness Docs from Stitcher. Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Dakota Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Dakota Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet, you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from? That's Decodering, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by the New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one.